0: 6:30, Chad. Inside sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six
1: on 6:30, Chad. Here's the
2: snap to as He drops back, blue chiefs looking for Everly. He's throwing, going to the end zone. Now McDavid walks in, right circle, back to Everly. Touchdown, Eskimo. One timer, score.
0: Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins
3: on the voice of
0: your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad.
1: All right, so here are the trades today. Ottawa gets Alex Burroughs from Vancouver. He turns 36 in April. Had to waive a no-trade clause. There are reports he'll sign a two-year extension with the Senators as early as tomorrow. Vancouver gets prospect Jonathan Dallin. He was taken in the second round, 42nd overall in 2016. Toronto gets a guy who I think would have looked great on the Oilers. Brian Boyle goes to the Maple Leafs. They give up uh, Byron Froze and a second-round pick. Montreal gets defenseman Jordy Ben from the Dallas Stars for Greg Patteron and a fourth-round pick. The Habs in action tonight, trailing the Devils 1-0 early in the second period. The Senators a 1-0 lead on the Lightning. That's with six minutes left in the first. The Kings and the Wild still the to face-off tonight, actually just getting underway. Zach Parisi and Jason Pominville out for that game with the Kings because of the Mumps. It hit uh, Mumps hit Vancouver now hitting the Minnesota Wild. So that's another story that we'll be watching. Thanks for tuning in tonight Inside Sports on 630 Chet. I'm best actor winner Reed Wilkins. The Oilers will play St. Louis tomorrow 4:30 face off show here on 630 Chet. The game will start at 6 and I'm pleased to be joined by Edmonton Oilers assistant coach Jim Johnson. Jim, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Reid. How are you? I'm doing great. It's awesome to have you on the show. Now, I wasn't sure. Do you prefer to be introduced as Edmonton Oilers' assistant coach or Rob Brown's former teammate? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Either one. <laughs> Robbie was a, I tell you what, Robbie was a great uh, teammate and uh, loved playing with him when we played together in Pittsburgh.
1: Well, in 88-89, you guys combined to score 51 goals for the Pittsburgh Penguins, right? <laughs>
2: yeah, that might that might be true. <laughs> and Rob probably had a, the majority of them.
1: He had forty nine. Do, do you remember anything about that season? About him? Uh, about him heating up? Because I mean, he don't he did oh, yeah. twenty four the year before. What he was playing with Mario, I guess, I got him going, or did he get Mario going? Well, I don't know, but
2: anybody they put on Mario's wing, uh, it, it's it's a lot like Connor McDavid. Uh, anybody they put there, nothing against Robbie. Robbie had a, an unbelievable uh, hands in around the net, and uh, he, he knew where to go in the right areas. He was a very intelligent player. And w- when you put intelligent players with guys like Mario Lemieux and Connor McDavid, uh, they tend to shine. And Robbie had a great year. He got on a roll and scored a lot of big goals for us that year uh, uh, playing on Mario's wing.
1: You know, it, it's interesting because you and Rob both got traded in the same season and, and Rob always jokes yeah thanks guys for trading me the year you are going to win the Stanley Cup and I guess you, you were kind of in that same boat but uh, even though you didn't get to enjoy the, the championships with the Penguins and you'd been there for, for several years before that was there a sense for you that it was coming and maybe Mario and some of the other leader, leaders were maturing or what was it like kind of being a Penguin at that time and seeing them become a better team?
2: Well, you know, it was, it was a shock to me, um, and uh, it was something I know talking to our management team and our coaching staff that they didn't want to do, but they weren't going to make the deal without acquiring me in Minnesota. And uh, in that year, we ended up playing Minnesota. I went to a, from the best team in the league, the Pittsburgh Penguins, to the last-place team, the Minnesota North Stars. And uh, which was, it, what was fun about that for me was the fact that I was from Minnesota. Uh, I knew I was leaving a great team in a great situation. I'd been there uh, six seasons. I played over 400 games in, uh, in Pittsburgh for the Penguins. Uh, it wasn't something I was looking forward to. I wasn't expecting it. It came out of the blue, but it was a deal that Bobby Clark would not make unless he acquired me in the deal. Uh, Going back to Minnesota, uh, playing in front of family and friends, we took that team in Minnesota that year after I was traded, I believe it was right around December the 11th. we, from January, I believe it was like January 1st or 6th or 7th, one of those dates, on the rest of the season, the Minnesota North Stars had the best season, the best record in the National Hockey League. We ended up making the playoffs from a last-place team we, uh, and made it all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals to face the Pittsburgh Penguins that year in the Stanley Cup Finals, which we eventually lost in six games to Mario and, uh, and the great Penguin team.
1: Yeah, well, beat the Oilers in the uh, conference final on the way to the cup final that year, too. Yeah, I remember that series very well. Jim Johnson, Oilers. Yeah, we assistant. did it. Yeah, in, sorry, go ahead.
2: Yeah, we did in five games, and we actually we ended up beating the President's Cup champions in the first round, the Chicago Blackhawks, in five games. So we, we had a great run. That was the year you talk about uh, the importance of power play. That was the year that the uh, Minnesota North Stars, we had a, one of the hottest power plays in the playoffs.
1: Oilers assistant coach Jim Johnson joining us tonight, Inside Sports on 630, Chet. You know, it's interesting. I was looking back on on some of your stats, and I I was reminded that you played in the NCAA at Minnesota Duluth before jumping to the NHL. And I thought, man, there's an interesting uh, compare and contrast situation for for Matthew Benning, who was in the NCAA and then was able to crack the NHL lineup this season. What what do you think the similarities and differences are for a a young man going from an NCAA blue line to an NHL blue line from your day to, to Matt's day?
2: Well, I I don't know if there's a lot different. I I know in our day we played a few more games. Uh, I I, I still hold the NCAA record in number of games played, uh, 176 uh, NCAA games. So I played quite a few games throughout my four years at Minnesota Duluth, and I think it's a little bit different now. And fortunately, we had some real strong powerhouse teams at Minnesota Duluth, and we went to uh, three of my uh, four years, we went to the final four. So we ended up playing a lot of games, and I think that helped playing those uh, playoff-type long uh, uh, springs that we had in college. And then uh, my final year, I went on to play uh, in the World Championships for the United States uh, in the World Championships over Prague, Czechoslovakia. So I had ended up playing that season. I played well over 70 games. So, you know, we ended up playing quite a few games back in college. I don't think it's quite the same this uh, with the college kids coming out, but I, I look at it uh, a little bit different than probably most. Uh, you know, uh, there is a jump. There's no doubt the intensity of the games. I think Matt has felt it at a couple of times this year, but he is, uh, he's been a a real uh, standout player for us, a real surprise on our blue line. He's really played, I thought, real steady throughout almost the whole year. So um, he's been a bright spot for us. So I, I don't know that there's a lot. There's a lot more training and developing for those type of players. So I think their bodies are. are are built better to withstand the rigors of the national hockey league schedule. And it's just getting the pace of the games. And I think once we get through this year road trip, I think uh, the excitement of, of playing every night for a meaningful game is going to be really important. I, I, I found that myself um, as you come down the stretch here for a college player, but it's uh, I I think there's a lot of preparation that goes into it for these college players Um, physically they're, they're prepared. I think it's the mental grind sometimes of the season that catches up with him at times, and uh, we haven't seen a lot of that from Matt, so he's had a real solid year for us.
1: Yeah, it been very good for sure. Hey, Jim, you got Darnell Nurse back last night, and, and, you know, tough for him to miss the whole middle gap of the season there, 37 games with the ankle injury. But, you know, what does his reinsertion into the lineup mean, and, and just how do you think he looked in his in his first game uh, back last night? Obviously a bit of a, a wild game in Nashville with, with all the goals, but how do you see Darnell uh, helping here down the stretch?
2: Well, I, I see, uh, you know, obviously uh, we lost the big player. He was actually playing extremely well when he went out with the injury, and uh, it's tough for any player to miss any long periods of time and come back to the National Hockey League, but to do that during this course of the, the time of the year and coming back at this time of the year when the games are so meaningful is very difficult for players. I thought Darnell handled it quite well. Uh, played, I thought hard. He, uh, he jumped up in the play a couple times. Um, you know, I, I thought for the games that he missed. He worked extremely hard in the weight room uh, in his rehab recovery and off-ice training and getting back to playing. This kid's got a work ethic that's uh, second to none, and I think that's part of the reason why he came back pretty seamlessly as far as I was concerned for a guy that missed that amount of time. But what I see him bringing back to our blue line is a strong, you know, a physical net presence, a guy that can, he can lug the puck. He was skating extremely well. He added a fourth man in the attack a number of times by jumping up in the play. Um, A guy that just brings a good presence to the blue line. I think his shot has improved as he's gotten stronger through these three months of rehab. And uh, you know, I, I think he would like one play back last night, but you know that's part of the rust that's coming off his game. And I, uh, for the amount of time he missed, I was pleased, and I expect him to even be better uh, here tomorrow in St. Louis.
1: Well, and, and I mean, last night you scratched uh, Davidson and Griba who who had been doing fine on the back end. I thought, is is this? I mean, I mean, I know last year Schultz got traded, Clefbaum was out. Um, you wound up claiming a couple guys off waivers and, and bringing a couple guys up from the farm who were playing significant minutes. It, it, I, mean, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it just seems like a more experienced and composed defense than maybe 12 months ago. How, how would you look at it?
2: Well, I I tend to agree. I mean, we got more numbers back there. I mean, it's it's tough when you sit out Davidson and Greba, uh, but when you've got uh, you got Larson coming back, you've got Darnell coming back that need to get games. You know, we're gonna we're gonna need all these guys, especially uh, as we're looking at uh, you know the final stretch of the season here. It's a time that you really utilize your depth and your defense and your organization. I think uh, Peter's done a real good job of adding depth to our defense. Uh, We feel real confident as coaches. Playing any one of these uh, eight guys right now, and matter of fact, I think we've got a couple guys that are really looking well playing down in the in the American League that could possibly come up and help us. So uh, you know, Peter's done a real good job there. I think it's helped uh, our back end. It's helped uh, exiting the zone. I think we defend a little bit better. We give up less uh, quality shots in around uh, in around our net. And uh, you know, you, you, you mentioned Davidson and Grabba. They're two guys that have come in and really played well and uh, they're not sitting because they haven't played well. I can tell you that we got to get Darnell up and running, and uh, and Lars had to come back in the lineup after he had a, missed a couple of games. So uh, I'm really excited about our our, uh, our defense. Uh, the addition of uh, Adam Larson and, um, and and Matt Benning, obviously uh, Chris Russell on the back end has really solidified our group, and uh, I think it's put guys in the right uh, spot and minutes uh, to be played. And then when you do that, I think you're better at the back end. I think uh, uh, you know we we expect to be a little bit harder to play against. Our gap can be a little bit better, but you know over the course of the year, I think we've improved in this area, and we're going to continue to improve as these guys get. Uh, it's pretty. And you look at this group, Reed, It's a pretty young group of guys back there, and they're just going to get better with age. And it takes a little bit longer, I think, for a defenseman to develop and understand how to play the position properly. And uh, I think we're starting to see some of the fruits of the labor of, uh, of these guys. And their work ethic and getting to understand how to play certain situations so it's going to take some time but I, I like the direction that we're going.
1: Inside Sports on 630 Chet joined by Oilers assistant coach Jim Johnson when we get back I'll ask him about the team's struggling penalty killing. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Oilers assistant Jim Johnson joining us on Inside Sports. Jim, just one more for you. The penalty kill's been a a topic of discussion. Obviously, uh, three goals against last night, a couple against Florida earlier in the week. Uh, You know, I know stats-wise, there's kind of a divide maybe between about the first 25 games and and the second 35 in terms of how the PK has performed. Uh, I guess what does it come down to for you, for, for that unit, to maybe go back to the efficiency it had earlier in the season?
2: Well, you look even on this road trip, Reed, uh, we were one-tenth of one percentage point away from top ten in the league. That's how quick a uh, penalty kill can fall. Uh, so we we're, we were literally right before the Florida game, we were in 11th place in the league in our penalty kill. We've been a top ten team most of the season. We have not dropped below 18 at, at any one time. We were 15th uh, in the league. That's, that's, that's top half. Uh, Before the game last night, so you you look at one bad game or a couple bad games. That's going to happen occasionally throughout the year. Obviously, uh, you know execution last night was not our best, but you got to give. Sometimes you got to give credit to the other team. You hate to give teams three power plays in the first period. Uh, especially a power play going into that game last night Reed was operating in the prior nine games they had scored eight power play goals and they're operating at 38 thirty point eight percent on the penalty kill so when you go into a team a, a game like that you don't want to give an up op- the opposition many opportunities uh, and we did and uh, with with uh, the face-off situation that we're that we're in we, I think we won well uh, so far on this road trip we've won 23 percent of their face-offs uh, on the penalty kill it's not good enough that's one area we've got to get better at because you spend way too much time in your zone uh, and and it wasn't like we we didn't know what they're doing uh, is uh, the night before against' uh, probably one of the best uh, half wall up and over one-time teams in the league the Washington capitals we we shut out their two kills uh, where they didn't get a goal so and the first one comes on an up and over one timer and it goes off our defenseman that happens you know that's just one of those things that you're in the right area where we're, we're in the right spot, you're executing what the plan is, and it goes off a, a defenseman and goes in. That's the, that stuff happens. And on a on the second goal last night, there's a face-off loss. We pressure up, we fall down on the pressure up. Our rotation is already set, and we're a little bit late on a rotation. A pass across, and we don't recover to the net quick enough, and it's in 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 the back back of the net. And then on the third one, it was a it was a half wall pressure where we got out battled, and, and uh, we allowed it to the top. They got down, and we got beat to the net. So those are those. That's just Execution of individual players that uh, that can be corrected very easily. I'm not worried one bit about uh, where we are, where we're at in the kill, uh, and pretty much all season long, we've been one of the top killer, killing uh, units in the league, and our guys g- can get the job done. They just. Um, uh, in the last couple of games, they've uh, ran into number one, uh, pretty good face-off uh, teams and pretty good power-play teams. That if you make a mistake, they're going to put it in the back of your net. So we get back on the horse tomorrow in St. Louis. I don't expect that uh, it will have any lingering effects. We've done a real good job. We've limited uh, on this road trip. We've limited the opposition in 13 power plays. They've got they generated 15 shots Reed, and uh, that's that's like 1.12 shots per game. And that's way below our season average. So one of the areas that we I, I know we need to get better with is making sure that we're in the lane, win our face-offs, get the puck up ice and get our pressure um, rim and chase and pressure game going. And I think we do that. We'll, we'll get back to our uh, the way we do. But it's unfortunate that these guys have worked so hard all season long and, and been in the top group. And they've now they dropped just due to two games and a, a few lack of execution, and you're, you're battling at the bottom third rather than where we should be at the top third, where we've been all, almost all season long. So yeah. it'll it'll we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out and take care of itself.
1: Jim, appreciate that perspective for sure. Hey, thanks so much for your time. All the best against the Blues tomorrow, and uh, we'll see you at the rink when you guys get ready for the eight-game homestand.
2: All right, Ray. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, for sure. Appreciate the time, Jim Johnson. Very uh, generous with his time and his comments during that interview. Assistant coach for the Edmonton Oilers. It was an off day for the players today, not for the coaches. Uh, they were breaking down film and doing all that kind of fun stuff. So he doesn't seem too concerned about the penalty killing, which has dropped to 23rd in the NHL. You all know the stats. It's allowed five goals in its last uh, three games, including three last night against the Predators. PK pretty much, uh, you know, costing the Oilers. A Game and one where they were able to score four, but uh, really says it comes down to execution, puck battles, making sure you're in the right spot. So, those are all things to focus on when they play the Blues tomorrow. It's 627 inside sports on 630 Ched. We got Jim on the open line, 780 496 0063. I hadn't even given out the number yet, Jim. You are so anxious to call. What's going on?
4: Well, I'm on speed now. What, what can I say?
1: <laughs> nice.
4: <laughs> uh, Reed, I got a, a couple thoughts. If okay. We don't make some sort of major trade. Uh, what I would like to see us do is is uh, to leave two, at least these two players unprotected, and see if uh, Vegas will pick them up. And maybe they will, maybe they won't. And that's uh, RHN and and Emerly. And the reason I say that is uh, that's twelve million dollars. If the Oilers were to lose one or two, we'd be saving six million or maybe twelve million to really make a dent in going after some of these players. That are free agents that we might want to go after. Would you think? Do you think Vegas would take
1: them? Uh, they might. They probably would. I would think because I don't think there's going to be a lot out there for Vegas. I, I just don't think those are the types of players you leave unprotected, Jim. I, I mean, uh, I, I mean, here's the thing: the, the Oilers have invested time and money in those guys. I, I don't think they would want to risk losing them for nothing. I, I think by the start of next season one of those players won't be an Oiler, and I think the trade will happen in the summer. I go back and forth on who I think it'll be. I I just don't think that they they let one of those guys dangle. I just just don't think they'd get... I mean, maybe it's going to be a trade that... I mean, not a lot of people like the Hall trade. I can't remember what camp you were in, but, you know, oh, I think it was... It's great. It was in the... It was, the thought was Shirelli was trying to address an area of weakness. Maybe that's how a deal with one of those two guys works out. I'm of the mindset I wouldn't want to give one of them away for potentially nothing, though.
4: You, you, you see, I, and I'm the opposite, because I think that uh, I'm looking at the cap saving. I'm looking at uh, possibly having that money to actually go out if we want uh, some free agents that will actually help us and having the money to do it. I mean, in, in another—not necessarily next year, but the year after—Connor McDavid. We already heard the rumors, what they're going to pay him. Yep. So I mean, I'm, I'm just saying that you know what? Uh, I mean, yeah, we've invested money, but we invested money in Hall too. I, I mean, I was happy with the trade. I mean, we had I mean, one of the three had to go, and Hall got the straw drawn, and that's fine. But I'm still thinking that you know these players—that's twelve million dollars, and that's an awful lot of money that you could potentially go out and get the, the players that you want that are going to help this team immediately. Uh, I mean, if they wanted to make a trade, I think they would have made a trade already for either one of them. I just don't think, I, I think both of them, well, Everly, I'm a little more disappointed. But R.H.N., as good as player as he is, he's small for center. I don't think that he has what it takes to be a centerman, especially in this type of NHL that we have.
1: Well, and you know, there's been oh. some, with his face-off, uh, lack of performance in the face-off circle, yep. that's, there's, that's been a big discussion point. Jim, I got a break for the news, but thanks for calling. If you remember the hey, 1980s, man. I got Jeff Cortnall up next, okay? All right, take care. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chet.
3: This is Oscar cleft from your Edmonton Euler, and you're listening to the Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chat.
1: All right, really appreciate you tuning in tonight. Just a couple of text messages here before we get to our next guest. We had Oilers assistant coach Jim Johnson on in the first half of the show. The Big L says, hey, Reid, like that interview with Johnson. The team is obviously developing, even with the inconsistencies. As he mentioned, the league is tight in almost every category, so we shouldn't dwell on specific stats. These positions can change from game to game. What Johnson had to say helps to reinforce the organization doesn't need to make a quarterback trade or overpay for temporary help, so they aren't likely to go far in the playoffs, so maybe seek some playoff depth. If they were to focus on anything in particular, maybe a good face-off center, but I wouldn't sell the farm to get one. And Marfus writes in and says, a good interview with the assistant coach. Nice to hear something positive on the Oilers. Whether a trade gets made before the deadline or not, I think the Oilers will be fine. Those are a couple of texts to 630-630. My name is Reed Wilkins. You know, it's uh, it's this is an interesting time of year to be an NHL player because there are some guys who are probably aware of the rumors or... Uh, maybe have expressed to their team that they'd be okay with getting traded. And, you know, there are those one or two guys out there who about, what, three and a half months from now, you're going to look at and say, that was the guy. That was the guy that got traded at the deadline and he helped this team win the Stanley Cup. One of those guys... In 1988, helping the Edmonton Oilers win the Stanley Cup that year was Jeff Courtnell. and Jeff joins me now. Jeff, you're on with Reed. How are you doing, sir? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. It's great to catch up with you. Thanks for being willing to join us tonight on 6:30, Chet, in Edmonton. Hey, before we dive into the hockey stuff, uh, tell tell fans uh, what you're up to these days. Where is life taking you? <laughs>
3: Well, I'm living back in Victoria. I moved back here about a year ago. I own a lot of real estate here in Victoria, so I've been on Vancouver Island. But I moved to Vancouver for the last four years. I uh, have a mining company, a gold mining company in Peru. So I've been doing that for about five years, and uh, I'm busy.
1: (laughs) Jeff, I have interviewed a lot of current and former athletes, and I have never had one tell me they have uh, owned a gold mine. How how in the world do you get into that?
3: <laughs> well, actually, during the Olympics, um, I met two guys from Peru who owned uh, Geodrill, which is the largest drilling company in South America. Uh, basically, they talked me into coming down to Peru, and I went down there, and then uh, my partner's... Uh, geologist and we ended up buying a property down there that uh they had drilled uh 10 holes on and then we basically took the company on the toronto stock exchange and um drilled a bunch more holes on that property and built that one up to two and a half million ounces so we have three properties now in peru and that's basically how it started
1: (laughs) That's a, that's amazing, man. I'm, I'm glad you shared that. I, I want to ask you too because one thing I always find interesting about interviewing guys who were pros is that transition. And some guys will say, "Hey, I struggled with it. I didn't know what I was going to do." Some guys said, "No, I was making a plan from the time I was 20 to do, you know, to have a passion and a, and a job once I retired." What what was the uh, what was the retirement transition like for you? Were you like, "Yeah, I'm going into the business world," or how did it work out? Um, You
3: know what? I moved back to Victoria. Um, I built a house here on the water and thought that, you know what? I'm just going to take it easy for a while. And after six months, I started going stir crazy. So I bought an office building downtown Victoria, then bought some other real estate, started building up a real estate portfolio, got involved in some other businesses that weren't as successful, um, but through it all, ended up with some great real estate I have a gravel pit, too, which is a great business uh, ended up with some great real estate assets and um uh, you know I think the the biggest problem and for anybody is you're you're so used to from seventeen years old, same routine, hanging out with all the guys. It's like basically being with twenty your best friends for for me it was seventeen years and three years a junior so it's pretty hard to get used to not having that and uh, then you know i think uh, it's 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 a struggle too. i think that uh... you know i'm seven years sober now and that also you know when you're playing the game and you you have a few beers here and there and uh... you're skating working out every day so you burn it off but then when your careers over and you continue to do it more and more it can become a bit of a problem
1: well, and I wanted to ask you too, because uh, you know I know I was obviously reading up on you to, to prepare for this interview, and I know you were involved in building a uh, an emergency mental health facility and a mental health ward in a hospital. I think this was uh, in Victoria, but you'll correct me if I'm wrong. but what prompted you to you know to pursue that and uh, you know to, to try to make an impact in, in the lives of people who might be having some uh, mental health difficulties?
3: Yeah, so Russ and I have always done a lot of charity work, and we did the we raised all the money for Canuck Place, which is a, um, a hospice for terminally ill children in Vancouver with a fishing derby that we had three years in a row while we played for the Canucks, or while I did, and Russ played there one year. But then when we retired and I moved back to Victoria, and then Russ moved to Victoria for, I think, in 2002... Um, Basically, we started to talk to a lot of people around town about doing golf tournament for something or a great cause. And there was a real need here for um, our mental health. Basically, what's happened here is we've got a lot of people from... Obviously, the weather's, you know, a lot warmer here in the winter, so we've got a lot of people living on the street that are from east, I think, you know, all the way to Manitoba. Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba—who move here and, and unfortunately have mental health issues, which leads to addiction and self-medication—and so my dad committed suicide when I was 15 years old. So, you know, Russ and I were approached about doing uh, building a uh, center. So we had a golf tournament for three years and raised roughly about 3.5 million. Uh, to build the RT Cortnall Center which is for emergency care so if people are in trouble they're rushed there from uh, whatever the issue is usually uh, it, it ranges from everything but pay, basically people who are suicidal or um, you know problems with drugs and and uh, different things that are going on in their lives basically a breakdown so Uh, The Archie Cordial Center stabilizes them, and then we raised a bunch of money for new mental health ward, which can handle up to about 32 patients at a time. So basically now here in Victoria, it's great, but but to be honest with you, um, we could have one in every one of our communities here.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that, Jeff. And I mean, I'm sure no a lot problem. of people appreciate that, that you know you've 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 stayed so involved in so many people's lives here in your in your post playing career. Jeff Courtinol joining us on uh, Inside Sports, a uh, a uh, former Edmonton Oiler. Jeff, it was brief but it was a lot of fun. Uh, Take me back to March 8th, 1988. You heard my intro about those important deadline deals. For people who don't remember, you and Bill Ranford from Boston to Edmonton for uh, Andy Moog. I mean, did you have any inclination? What was it like being traded on that day?
3: You know, it's interesting. So Cam Neely and I were roommates. We We went to a movie, came back to my room, and everyone was standing outside my room, and I Going on, and they said, "Oh, have you heard?" And I said, "No." And they go, "Oh, well, you better call the coach." So I called Terry O'Reilly, and he told me that I was traded to Edmonton, and um, then found out it was, you know, with Bill Ranford, and uh, that was probably my first really breakout season in Boston. I was playing with Neely and lensman and I think at the time I probably I I can't remember how many goals I had, but I know Cam had thirty-eight, and I think I had thirty-two, and. We had a great line, so I was not expecting to get traded, and uh, it was, you know, I I think it's, it's always difficult when you first get traded, but it worked out to be the best thing.
1: So what do you remember? You 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 joined an Oilers team that at that time had won three of the previous four Stanley Cups. Uh, you had Wayne Gretzky on your left, Mark Messi on your right, though however the lockers were uh, aligned, and, uh, and Grant Fuhr and Yari Curry, and uh, I guess coffee was gone, but Anderson. Well, what was it like joining that team and finding a role on well, it?
3: Well, I think any time you get traded, it's very difficult to go to a new team. And, um, you know, I think that... Uh, Obviously, I was lucky. I think uh, I played junior with Grant Fuhr. um, I played in Boston with Craig McTavish. And uh, Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, all the guys, because of the leadership that they had there, really welcomed me right away and made me feel a big part of that team. And I think that, um, you know, even though my contribution probably in the playoffs wasn't, I played with Craig McTavish and Lacombe and we were third-line and basically banging and crashing, it wasn't what I normally was doing. I wasn't really out there to score goals. because. But at the same time, it takes 20 different players to win a championship, and I think in Edmonton uh, that was something that they definitely had there.
1: Was it weird playing the Bruins in the final? Yeah, <laughs>
3: Yeah. that was definitely weird. And I think that... Um, you know, it was it. Was, it felt great to beat them the way we did. I think uh, you know my my transition there was interesting because I'm I'm a pretty fit guy and I remember my first two practices. I could not believe how fast they practiced and the tempo that they practiced at and just how out of shape I felt trying to keep up to those guys. Which basically, you know, after a week, you 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 got it. But I think that um, it was it was amazing to play with that group of players and, and a lot of fun to beat Boston in the final.
1: Uh, so, I mean, But I, I mentioned it, it wasn't a long time uh, with the Edmonton Oilers. And you know what, Jeff? The beauty of the Internet these days is message boards and blogs. <laughs> and I found blogs of people complaining about the trade. That's, <laughs> this was almost 30 years ago. <laughs> uh, you were traded away for Greg Adams uh, in, in July, and every, there's still Oilers fans saying that uh, they, they don't like that trade. Um, I, I, I don't remember this. I was a teen at the time, but I don't remember yeah. the circumstances. Did you want to go, or that, was that a surprise too, or what happened? So
3: well, I'll take you through it, but basically I was making 110000 U.S. at the time. Oilers had to offer me a 15% raise, which was 125 or 130000 U.S., they didn't make that qualifying offer, so I became a free agent. This was the big argument that happened. I signed with the New York Rangers. The NHL ruled in favor of the Oilers, who then traded me to Washington, because Washington actually... I got into a bidding war between three teams, and it was... I think it was... I can't remember the third team, but it was Washington and New York were the two teams right at the end, and I ended up signing with New York. Well so edmonton got my rights and they got to trade me to washington and so basically i ended up going to washington and then scoring 42 the next year but you know i got to play on the first line with dale hunter and um yeah it was great but i but i wanted to stay in edmonton uh it was a fantastic place to play hockey uh you know i think that um At that time, that team was pretty stacked, though. It was before the Gretzky trade, and, I mean, I probably would have played on the third line again the next year, so I'm sure it was tough for them to let me go, but, yeah, they didn't get a lot for me.
1: Jeff Cordell joining us on Inside Sports. Uh, Jeff, just uh, a couple more for you here. Uh, Obviously, you were on the uh, 94 Canucks team that came oh so close kind of an unexpected run to the final. Uh, I mean, it's funny, Kirk McLean was on TV this weekend, and they're still showing his Game 7 save in overtime mm-hmm. against the Flames. What what ignited <laughs> you guys that year? Uh, well, you know, Calgary was favored to win
3: the Cup that year. We beat them in Game 5 that, that year I scored that overtime goal in Game 5, which basically sent us home for game 6. We beat him in overtime again in game 6 and then game 7. I mean, it just seemed like the chips started to fall in our favor. And as we every game we won, we gained confidence. And that was a team that basically uh we were underachievers all season, uh but we had a lot of great pieces and it just came together at the right time.
1: And Jeff, last one. How interested are you in today's NHL? Do you still follow the game, or uh, has your interest waned a little bit? Where are you at? Uh, yeah, my interest has waned a bit, I think. I mean, I love hockey. I love. I
3: just don't get a chance to watch it as much. Um, you know, it's frustrating to watch now, I think, that uh, well, teams like Edmonton are fun to watch because they've got great skill, and it's exciting. Um, but I I feel that uh, the game, you know, getting a point for a tie has really affected the way teams play now. So I think that the there just seems like there's no physical intensity in the last 10 minutes of the third period where, yeah, teams are trying to score, but teams are sitting back trying to protect the one-goal lead, and without fail, which frustrates me, is they pull the goalie, tie the game up, go into overtime. So... I think that if that if the if the rule wasn't there where they get a point for a tie automatically, um, I think teams would play harder. And I think because you know what, I love watching playoff hockey. I don't miss many playoff games. I love it. It's, a, it's intense. It's a different game. It's like uh, you know, exciting to watch. And I just think that uh, uh, I haven't watched a lot of the Canucks games this year. I think I actually have only seen, I haven't been to a live game and I've only seen one game this year.
1: Yeah, well, and they made the trade today with uh, with Alex Burrows going to Ottawa. Jeff, it was great to catch up with you. I really appreciate uh, your insight and some of your memories and it's it's so interesting where you, where your life has taken you here. I hope we can do this again sometime. Thank you so much for joining yeah, us on and, 630 and Check.
3: Thank you and thanks again to the fans and Edmonton because they were great to me while I was
1: there. Right on. See you, Jeff. Okay, bye. Jeff Cortnall checking in tonight on Inside Sports, 1988 Stanley Cup champion. Man, really enjoyed that interview and one of those deadline deals. And uh, I, he elaborated on the story there, was making $110,000, was uh, looking for a little bit of a raise and wound up uh, getting traded to the Washington Capitals. The dollar numbers certainly have changed, haven't they? You can text 630-630, the phone number 780-496-0063. I'll update your scores too when we get back.
4: This is Matt Hendricks from your
1: Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chet. Well, thanks to people texting in who uh, enjoyed the Jeff Courtnell interview. Oh, that, that was a good one. Great to uh, catch up with him. Well, not catch up. I've never talked to him before. So, th- so there you go. Uh, and as, uh, as you guys all know, if uh, you get some random text to the old text line, uh, somebody has uh, written in, who was the least deserving player to win the cup? Well, I know in this market, people are just going to start listing off members of the Calgary Flames. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. We got Brian on the line, and then we'll get Chris from Phoenix. Hey, Brian. Hey, Reed. How's it going tonight? Doing well.
0: So, uh, are you? you almost sounds like you're not expecting any trades happening by March first for the Oilers.
1: I don't think they're going to do anything major. I I, I got to take Shirelli at his word. I I think he'll tinker. I I think he'll. Uh, He'll try to add some depth. I mean, Hansel or Boyle would have been great. They weren't going to p- pay the price that uh, many did for uh, for Hansel, though. I mean, there could be, you know, a maroon-like depth guy who maybe will come in and uh, hopefully take advantage of a of a chance. What about, this. like, Doan or Shattenker? Uh Doan is interesting to me. I think Arizona's probably going to sell him off. The Oilers don't have a second-round pick, which could be a bit of a... Uh, a hindrance because I don't think they want to give up the first-round pick for an old rental player. Do uh, I don't think the Oilers are getting Shattenkirk at this point.
0: You don't think they've got a shot at him?
1: Probably not. I don't think he will. I don't think ultimately. I, I know there's rumors that he's maybe more interested in Edmonton than he used to be, but I still think his his preference is to play in the East, and that's where he would sign long-term.
0: You, have you heard? Has Dome uh, waived his no uh, move clause?
1: I haven't seen that. No. So they'd have okay. to they'd have to ask him to. Is his a complete one or a partial one? I got to double check. Not sure. Uh, I can check right now. I have not seen anything that he has though. So that would have to happen.
0: Because I did hear that once. Um, oh
1: yeah, he's got that thirty-five. Yeah, thirty-five plus contract. Yeah.
0: After after Arizona made that uh, that major move um, for um, was it Hansel?
1: Yeah, Doan was mad.
0: Uh, but uh, but it also sounded like Doan was probably going to be more inclined to waive his uh, no no move clause.
1: Yeah, yes, I'm just double checking if anything has actually officially happened. no he had i don't think he's actually waived it but yeah there's a lot of speculation about it um, i mean what would you give sorry go ahead
0: i think i think he'd be a great addition who, who would i give up yeah you know for someone like Doan, um, personally i you know what I, I, I think i would i would play a gamble and i know a lot of people would probably say i got rocks in my head but <laughs> but i think i'd be willing to, to even give up at everly
1: Oh, I don't think they'd trade Everly for Doan because Doan would and, and be just a rental, right?
0: I, I don't think Doan would be a rental. I think, I think they could sign him to, uh, to a longer-term contract. I think having someone of Doan's character, uh, and what I mean by that is, is as far as the leadership qualities and his loyalty qualities, too. I mean, nobody can, uh, you know, I, I don't know of another player in, in the league He's already, 40,
1: he, he's already 40, though, Brian. I, I mean, he's got five goals in 61 games this season. I, I don't think they'd sign him long-term. I, I couldn't see that happening. He's going to be 41 in October. I
0: didn't think he was that, that old. Yeah. Okay, I, I retract uh, what I... Said
1: <laughs> okay, of Brian, i got to get Chris in. I'll talk to you again, okay? Have a great day. Okay, and uh, Chris from Phoenix. Chris, I'll give you about 90 seconds here, buddy.
5: Jeez! Jeez! Yeah, Don wasn't Don drafted like ninety five, so he's like ancient. Yeah, he's not going to want to leave uh, Arizona. He's had many a chance to leave Arizona. He likes living in Glendale. He's got a little ranch or whatever. I just want to uh, let the Oilers fans know. I'm pretty crazy when it comes to uh, to wanting to make trades, but let, let's face it. Um, for some people that want to just give away Eberly, who are you going to replace him with? Like, yeah, we can get uh, the Dylan, the the Strome kid out of uh, New York, but yeah, he's he's got like forty eight goals in his career. Uh, Jordan's got one hundred and forty eight um you're you're looking at uh yeah Verbata. we can get Verbata He's having a decent season, but the guy's done nothing in the playoffs Don, he he's he's one step in, in into retirement Iggy I wouldn't mind having a Ginla, but same thing he's he's pretty much done uh who who else do we got out there? You've got Vanek Vanek has done nothing I in would the not playoffs.
1: touch Vanek personally
5: so essentially, I say let's roll with with Eberle. Uh, we'll we'll visit uh, what happens uh, after the playoffs. If, if he performs in the playoffs, then maybe he's got a shot at staying here. If not, he's going to get traded more than likely before the season, start of the season and after the, uh, the expansion. So let's just calm down. We're still 10 points ahead of, of Los Angeles. We're still going to be okay. Minor tweaks here. Let's let, our, let's let our boys step up. It's time for our boys to step up and, and show they can play. And that's all I have. let's with
1: spoilers. All right. Chris from Phoenix, good to talk to you again, buddy. 780-496-0063. Quick uh, scoreboard update because I promised you one. Devils up 1-0 on the Canadians after two. In the second period, Lightning lead the Senators 2-1. The Kings are up 2-1 on the Wild after the first. The Wild without Parisi and Pominville because of the mumps. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chad.